This is Channel 253. In this episode of What Say You? And as we were driving to this kind of remote spot, we encountered probably half a dozen men on horseback in white garb with hats on. Oh. And I, th- I Are thought... Are you saying hats or hoods? Hoods. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. What say you? Real sisters. Real talk. What say you? Down-to-earth conversations between sisters about life, work, family, and the pursuit of an anti-racist community. Hi, I'm Audrey. And I'm Melanie. What say you? Sister, sister, read all about it. How are you? Ooh, I'm so good, girl. I'm so good. I'm so happy to see you. We are in the studio. We get to see Doug. We get to see Doug. Hey, Doug. Isn't he the best part of your day? He is. He has been everything for my day today. Yes. It's good to see. It's a pleasure to see. And then Christy is here. Oh, my God. You know what? I am so excited about. Christy being here. Christy, can you hear me, Christy? I can. Hi, uh, Audrey. Hi. I have yes. never met you, but I feel like I have met you. Yes. And can I say, Christy, that the best part of you that I know already without having ever met you is that you are really kind and nice to my sister. I thank you for that because I know, girl, I know with everything that I am, it's got to be hard. Oh. <laughs> Wait. Okay, Chrissy, you do not have to respond to that. Just hold tight for one second. Please. Please. Girl, why are you going to throw shade on my friend? Right? You just threw shade right up in there. I did. And backing I did. up. I love Christy. Okay, okay, listen. Because it's a girl. She your friend. You she know it's hard. Is, Christy is my friend and leave it alone. <laughs> okay, all right? So okay, okay, Before okay. we get to Christy, mm-hmm. you good? Because I'm good. You good? I just want to check in because you I'm already good. got messy. I'm good. You know I'm messy? Girl, it's Saturday. Yes, I'm messy. You messy. It's messy, you messy Saturday. You know you love me anyway. Go I ahead. Do. You all right? You all right? <laughs> I am. All right. Seriously. Are you? How are you? I mean, the fact that we can both, I mean, it's been months. Think about (laughs) it. How many, like three or four months ago, five, six months ago, when we're saying, girl, how are you? And we're like, oh, we're tired. We're weary. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the fact that both of us are joyful and laughing, I love it. Yes. I love it. Yes. And I read something, just one real quick thing. I read something in my scripture today. Mm-hmm, girl, I be reading scripture. You know, I'm yeah. a deer with the Good Bible. For you. Go ahead. Because you know, I, I don't get all the Bible verses right, so I got to get. I got this book Just that get breaks what the scripture. Get what you can. Honey, it breaks the scripture down what? where I can understand it. Anyway, what it said today was that stop complaining. Mm. Stop complaining when you're complaining that that is not the good journey 
walked in your relationship with God and Jesus Christ. So yeah. I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to complain. Now, I can't throw shade. He didn't say nothing about throwing shade. Well, But um, I'm listen, just going to be joyful. I'm joyful. Listen. Well, I'm joyful that my friend girl Christy is here today. Yes. And listeners, Christy is my white woman friend mm. that is my white woman friend. Now, right? why you got to say white woman? Why she just can't be your friend? Why you? Why are you saying white woman? I have to emphasize my white woman friend because in the struggle and the trenches that we're in right now, mm-hmm. we have to identify it like that and we have to be intentional about our efforts moving forward. And Christy has stepped up in my life. We're new to friendship based on... Um, our affiliation in graduate school. We met each other at, in graduate school. Mm-hmm. Um, but from day one, she has presented herself to me as that person. And, you know, mommy taught us keep white folks on white folks. Yeah, She taught us that as a strategy. And if, if you all are feeling your panties in a bunch by hearing that terminology, then... This is not the show for you. It's not the one. No, this is not the Mm-mm. show for you. Hang up right real now. Real sisters, real talk. Yeah, real we sisters. We say it out loud. Yeah, we do. So if if that made you feel some kind of way with what I just said, then uh, what did you say? Hang up now? or yeah, Look, don't look. <laughs> Disengage gonna, uh, now? Look, just do, do you. Go do you by yourself. But um, here's what I find just the most wonderful thing about you and Christy being friends and Christy being on, specifically being on this show. Yeah. Come on now. People out there, if that, uh, when my sister is describing her friend as her white woman friend, if you feel it a certain kind of way, don't be mad because you ain't got no inclusive friendship. Yeah, go get you Don't some. be mad because you ain't got nobody else that, that don't look like you around your table or in your circle. Don't be yeah, mad. Don't go be do. hating on me. All right. Hey, Christy, that's your introduction. Hey, girl. Hey. Hello. What a joy to be with the two of you and with Doug. We did all of that for you. Say, hey, girl. I never imagined that I would be invited to be in a space like this with the two of you and to talk about that you would trust me to open my white woman mouth on your show. <laughs> of course. And we know your mama is listening, so let's say hey to mother. Oh, where's mom? What's your hey, mother's mom. name? And and tell, say hi to your mom because we know she's in support Jane, of you right now. Jane is Jane will definitely listen. She's a Aww. channel 253. What say you? Uh, aficionado. Yes. Oh, and Miss where Jane, is Jane? Hi. Jane. Hey, Jane. How you doing? Even, Thank even you for birthing Christy. Where is in, she? In Detroit, Michigan. Okay, see, girl, we got fans in Detroit, Look, honey. Miss Jane, thank you for I I have not met you either. This is Audrey. I'm going to say that because people always say Mel and I sound alike. This is Audrey specifically. I have never met you, Miss Jane, but I already know. Mm-hmm. I already know that the essence of your soul is good because you have raised a woman. 
like Christy. And yes. Christy, when Mel said that you were coming on, I'm like, now who is Christy? And she said, you know my friend Christy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, she's coming on. I said, I need to ask her. And Mel, you know this is true. I know this is true. I said, I got one question for Christy. And Christy, here we go. How did you get to be a white woman in America that is sensitive, open, and just kind to others? How'd you get to be like that? Mm-hmm, girl, that's a good mm-hmm. question. Well, it, it is Jane and Bob have to take a lot of credit uh, for she got that. a Bob too. Oh, we got a we Bob. Got Bob. Our dad's name is Bob, Mr. Bob. I know. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes. You know that goes way back. Um, but I don't think I knew that they were training me up that way, and I'm not sure they knew mm. that they were training me up that way. They were doing the best they could with where they grew up, and we Which recently is where? had come. Uh, they grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and I grew up in, in Dearborn Heights, Michigan. Mm. Um, but we were university people and moved around a bit until we settled there. And we moved to Detroit in the summer of 67, and then the um, rebellion of, of the Detroit riots, but it was a rebellion, happened in 68, and, you know... That influenced our family, and I think that's when we started talking about things like that in our house. I was seven years old, eight years old. Seven years old. So, Chrissy, I'm I'm describing you as, uh, and and what I say to Audrey, and I've said it this on the podcast before. You know, we just met in our PhD journey. But I've described you as my white woman friend that is fearless about stepping up to uh, injustices and and how you just take your role. And there's a lot of humility there. And I mean, what what has gotten you there, Christy? Like what mm-hmm. what is it that was there a turning point? Like, tell us. Tell us, identify for us at least what white woman you are, you know, your story, and then how you got to be where you are. Because this right here is so important. So let's be, let me be perfectly frank. I've been a big mouth from the beginning. All right. And and, and had a a wise cracking, um, my mother would call it flip. She would say, don't be flip with me, young lady. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I was only, I grew up in white spaces with my list of privileges long, all except the one at the top with um, being a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and otherwise, I pretty much fulfill most of the, the, the list. And describe that and, list as what? Oh, I think about Peggy McIntosh's list of privilege, um, certainly being white, certainly um, being well-educated, um, having the opportunity for those things, having economic safety and security around me, having uh, 
n not in poverty and mm -hmm. not questioning if I was worthy enough. Uh, and my father had two daughters. And so while he might have raised us differently if there was a boy in the house, he, he learned quickly from my mother, who was an absolute dyed-in-the-wool feminist of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, that uh, girls had to have every chance. And, and girls had to be valued equally. So, you know, that started. My, my mother got a dishwasher when I was five years old. The kind, do you remember the kind you could screw into your faucet? In yes, the yes, we do. And yes, so my dad and I brought that home. I'm an only child at the time. And my mother says, oh, Susan has finally arrived. Susan B. Anthony was our dishwasher. <laughs> that dishwasher liberated my mother. <laughs> and, and, she learned, and she made sure my father knew that she was not going to be his wife. She was going to be his partner mm. and mate and um, co-conspirator in life, mm. but not uh, anything that he, he might have grown up in the 50s model of you know, a domestic. Uh, yes. Let, OK, I, I got to clap for Jane. And Jane. Jane! Yes. Oh I'm going to give it to God. Bob, too, because guess what? Hi. I mean... She sounds like mommy, too, don't she? Well, yeah. Yeah. Jane sounds like so Miss Jane the, sounds you know, like those mommy. Those are the yeah. starting points of, of sticking up for myself, sticking up for others. I always was willing to step in it if I saw other kids in, having some sort of injustice. But I'll be honest, I didn't really start to understand really my racial identity and my racial conditioning, my deep white racial conditioning. I might have had hints of it maybe in college and when I took comparative religion and some other things. I, I never took African-American studies that were just starting to happen uh, at the University of Michigan where I was in 78. Those were things that were coming to fruition. I didn't take those things. And then I got married. I followed the script, had children. We moved to the suburbs, uh, all of those things. And it really, honestly, it's embarrassing. I don't think I questioned the deep racial conditioning until I was maybe 45, 48, pushing 50, when mm. some fr a friend of mine, a mutual friend, actually, we had had dinner enough times together as many couples that she approached me afterward one time and said, you know, I think I know where your people are. And she introduced me to the Center for the Healing of Racism in Houston. Mm. It's affiliated with Houston Community College. And that's when I began to attend on a regular basis the programs and listen in, in our dialogue circles and be confronted with my own ignorance and my own racial conditioning and the ignorance associated with that. And it was tough. Mm. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. I would say that I spent, oh, probably two years wrapped up in my own guilt and shame and embarrassment before mm -hmm. I knew how to channel and, and gathering all of this new information to me, not and and finding out how unnew it was and finding out how unnew it was to others who have lived in more um, oppressed and marginalized communities and i did sink into 
um, guilt and shame and well, embarrassment. I want to ask, or, or do you got some too? Okay, so let me let we me might ask. Kind of ask the same thing. Go ahead. We might. I want to take back to. I just want to go to that point of reckoning. Like, what was it that happened that you realized I am a white woman with privilege and I've got to do something with it? What is that? When when you came out of, were you in denial before and then you came to awareness? What was that point? Hmm. I conflated and confused poverty with racial inequity, I think. Mm. And it was a simply a mistake of ignorance on my part. And and say more about that. What do you mean? Yeah. I don't even know why I would be so naive for so long. You're asking me to think about things that maybe I don't even yet think about. When I went to the center, mm -hmm. no, I know what it was. I, now that you've reminded me, I was introduced to Debbie Irving's book, uh, Waking Up White. Mm. And it's a, written by a white woman, a white woman scholar, with very much my story, very much my script through life, and how... and. She, they were small chapters, three or four pages long. It probably took me seven months to read this book, reading three or four pages, and then having to put it down, do her exercises to write and reflect on my life. And then I could, and then process it with somebody, and then go back to it and read three or four more pages and go, and sink into this self-centered oh, withdrawal and sorrow and then building, it's sort of a building a stamina to even get through the book. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that prompted me to keep reading. And then when I learned about, I learned early about uh, Tulsa or Greenwood. And, yes. And, and coming to understand that communities were coming out of, Reconstruction and creating pride-filled communities and tr on track to build wealth and, and that there were these intentional efforts mm. of fear among people that looked like me to destroy those efforts and to destroy the will and the strength and the stamina. Were they successful at destroying that? No, but their intention was, I believe, to destroy. Um, and I think I mean, they were successful in destroying in terms of... Not the, for good, but, yeah, absolutely dis destruction. Yeah, it was... I, I think it was uh, successful in the destruction and the years that it takes to um, build back better, you know, as we're saying, you know, today, the build back better. Uh, when you destroy that momentum, then you're setting back the the opportunities for, um, you know, leapfrogging or, be, or, or sustaining the same equity position. 
So um, let's take a break right here. We'll be we'll be right back, Christy. We are so grateful that you are here today and and just sharing with us your white woman testimony. Some people are probably uncomfortable with that characterization, and we love it. Because if you are uncomfortable with that characterization, don't come back. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. Don't come back. Uh, but we want to continue exploring with Christy Harrison, Christy Schwinn Harrison, um, my white woman friend that is everything. Audrey, what say you? We'll be back. I got a question when we come back. Hello, friends. This is Marguerite Martin, creator of MoveToTacoma.com and co-founder of Channel 253. It's bad out there, folks. Home prices in Pierce County are up 15% year over year. While it's no secret that the market is hot, you may not know that Tacoma has been the hottest housing market in the country for several years. There is an extreme shortage of homes for buyers to buy. Having a local Tacoma buyer's agent that specializes in the neighborhood and price range you're after can mean the difference between losing or winning the bid on your dream home. If you're looking to sell your current home and find something that meets your needs better, having a neighborhood expert handle your listing will impact how much money you net off of your sale. The right agent to market and sell a home on the West Slope might not be the same person who has the expertise and connections to find you an income generating duplex somewhere else. All agents have specialties, and I know the players for every niche. Best of all, it doesn't cost you anything. Great local agents are happy to pay me a finder's fee if you end up buying or selling, and you can rest easy knowing you're gonna get a great agent who specializes in exactly what you're looking for. If you wanna learn more, visit movetacoma.com and use the contact form. Thanks for listening to Channel 253. Welcome back, listeners. Oh, my goodness. We're having a conversation with my friend, Christy Schwinn Harrison. Am I saying your whole name right, Christy? Is that it? Yeah. I love it because Christy and I are um, Ph.D. uh, candidates. We're in pursuit of that, Louise. And Yeah, I'm the MVP. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I got to yeah. give myself some initials. <laughs> I know, that's right. And so that's how Christy and I are together because I met her um, from day one in my in my PhD program. Yes. And, and she has totally proven to be, when we're talking about organizational development and change, which is where we're getting our uh, PhD ODC, um, when you talk about needing people from all walks of life mm-hmm. to be in the struggle, right? I can say out loud, this is my white woman. Well, and let me just say that, because, um, you know, I'm hard. I know you hard, hard girl, boom, boom. I'm just, I'm hard tired. That's what I am. I understand. In hoping that there are people out there like Christy. And so Christy brings me hope. Yeah. Christy, I want you to know that. You bring me hope that it is possible for someone who lives in white skin in today, today, it is possible for someone who lives in white skin to get as best as can be gotten in white skin in America that 
there are others who do not walk the same path as you. That mm-hmm. gives me hope. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for being here. Yes, Christy. So, girl, before we went to break, um, let's let's pick it up there. Like you were telling us a story. Go for it. Yeah, it was 1983 or 84. I just moved to Texas from Michigan, and we went out to visit a San, something called the San Jacinto Monument, which is an obelisk like the Washington Monument that celebrates the victory of Texans over the Mexican troops after the Alamo to win their independence from Mexico and become a country of their own. And we were, it's in the country, it's in the ship channel area of of Houston, it's pretty rural. And as we were driving to this kind of remote spot, we encountered probably half a dozen men on horseback in white garb with hats on. And I I thought- Are you saying hats or hoods? Hoods. Okay, yeah, hoods. hoods. With hoods on. It was afternoon. We were with my new in-laws and and my new husband, and all Texans except me. And I thought I would drive off the road. It it was my first moment to to recognize this is not over. And this is really not over, that people will get on a horse in a public space where they could be seen Mm -hmm. by others and prance around in this way. And that's when I thought, oh, where where am I coming to? What And what I, year I, was that again? 83 or 84. 84. I just okay. married a Texan, so yes, you know, I yes. was going to be in Texas now. And it was a shocker to me. And I think that might have been more significant as I reflect on it than I than I want to think. I think I started looking through a different lens. Mm-hmm. What am I around? Who am I who's here? What's here? What, what is, is like? happening? Yeah. What is happening? And so where you are today in your life with all that has happened to you, uh, you know, in between, what what is your position and and what do you see your work as a white woman is right now in in the civil rights movement? Yeah. So, you know, those were awfully kind words that Audrey shared a few minutes ago, and they also are very hard for me to hear. They make me think, really? Is are we? It, does it? Does the encounter with people like me seem so few and far between? Yes. That those kinds of words would be yes shared. Yeah. So that's hard to hear and and sad for me. And my work with the Center for Healing Racism is we are a lot of white people who who are in the same space and on the journey and varying and people further along than me, people 20 and 30 years more practiced than than me in recognizing it. And I have really come to firmly believe that racism, while the consequences of racism fall so disproportionately on people of color, or and non or non white people, not people who can't be or don't consider themselves, you know, white. Those of uh, disproportionately on that population, the, it's a white people's problem, though. Mm-hmm. The consequences are non white people's problem, but the you cause. You better preach. That's how we say, right, mm. sister? You better preach. <laughs> yes. 
and and it's our problem. It's our and this the, the healing word in the center's name is very much about healing. We all need to heal that we are infected with something. Those of us who look like me and who are white, and and I really feel in my work and in my path through the rest of my life is to use it in a way that helps to solve the problem that was created. And my people come from Pennsylvania. My people were pilgrims. Mm. My people have a role in this. Mm -hmm. uh, we are not Johnny-come-latelys. But, but what does it, so when you realize that your people have a role in it, so many people say, my people have a role in this, but this ain't me. You know, I ain't well, got. To, I ain't got to. What do you say? I can't separate those two uh, because I continue to benefit from it, and I know my family has benefited from it. And the, I cannot let my grandchildren mm. wait into as long as I did to recognize their their position and their turn of events that put them in one place and and that they cannot think that they are in some place that is superior to someone else's place uh, mm. in this world. Yes. And Audrey. see that and, and and Christy, that's why I say that it is just very refreshing talking to you. Um and yeah, it's few and far between. I don't think that I've <laughs> I don't think that I've ever heard a white woman, a woman in white skin as woke as you. I'm going to use Humble. woke. I would say I'll say humility. All of that. I'm I'm using woke as the most absolute reverent term yes. when it comes what I'm saying to you. Because what happens is, and I'm going to get to the question that I said I wanted to ask you before, what typically happens, what I have seen happen and verbalized to me as from white people is they get stuck at the guilt shame, and embarrassment. I think you used those words earlier when you were talking about your evolution and evolvement. My experience has been that that guilt, shame, and embarrassment is where many white people get stuck. Mm -hmm. And what I want to say out loud to white people who may be stuck at guilt, shame, and embarrassment is, that's okay, that's cool. We're not asking you for that. You didn't—and here, here's the thing. As a black woman in America, when I look at white people, I don't—in 2021, you weren't the massa— you weren't the slave. You you weren't the slave uh, overseer. We black people know 
that you slavery and 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 where racism is right now, you you didn't do that. We know that. Just like as a black woman in America, I wasn't a slave. My mama wasn't a slave. My daddy wasn't a slave. So, yeah, it's not us. We didn't make it. Where we are is we've all, all of us, white and black, to your point earlier, we are all living in uh, this legal term, uh, Mama used to say, we're living in the rest, remainder, and residue yeah, of rest, it. Yeah, rest, remainder, and residue. Okay? That's right. Yes. We are living. So we're all living in the rest, remainder, and residue. None of us living today were actively participating in the atrocity. Yeah. So my point becomes, what, what can you share on how you moved from the guilt shame and embarrassment to actively consciously and purposefully doing what is in your living power today how did you move from that embarrassment shame for something that you had absolutely nothing to do with to actively and consciously and intentionally doing something today to make it different? Well, I'll say that it goes back to that lippiness of mine. And uh, I, I will say that I sought out, I think this is maybe where I am interested in working with white people. I sought out uncomfortable conversations and uh, other white people who could fill in some gaps for me and for me, that was at the center that I mentioned. It was, I needed to get brave. I talk a lot, of, I think a lot about, I needed to get brave. I needed to get um, white people courage, white people stamina. And the only way I could think to, to do that was to be in a space where we were going to talk openly about racism and use that word, mm. <laughs> use that word and understand what it meant and what it didn't mean. And, and I, I shared that a friend of mine invited me, she's at a, at a dinner party. She said, I think I know who your people are, Christy. I think I know the way you agitate and the way you bring up stuff in a conversation at a cocktail party or at a, restaurant that you're struggling with something and I think I know where your people are mm. come come with me come come and join me and so she introduced me to my first lecture and I did it was first time that there were people who were willing to talk about this and not just clam up uh, about the the hard stuff that I wanted to to explore to be curious about and that stamina building in me then allowed me to engage in, in really meaningful ways. It allowed me to go back to my work colleagues and who were, who were African-American in particular and, and ask them, okay, so I heard something last night and 
I'm, I totally believe it. I had no idea when I taught my boys how to drive at 16, and I'm saying, you go get stopped by the police because you need to learn a thing or two, that that was a totally different mm. story being told in the households. And my, my friends, my colleagues, they were my colleagues at the time, I think we're friends now because I think we moved our relationship to a new level, but they just sort of threw up their hands and said, oh, my God, Christy, <laughs> you're so white. And I said, yeah, I know. I just found out how white I was even more the other night when we had this conversation. So tell me about teaching your kids to drive and all that. It, it, I mean, I'm not challenging that it's not true, but just shake your head so that I know yeah, it's, it's everywhere for you and you, and, and it wasn't just an exceptional thing that somebody was talking about, and they said, oh, yeah, right, Christy, okay, yeah, you're right, you're right. So Isn't what I hear beautiful? you saying, yeah, I love it, I love it. And so I, what I hear you saying is something that is so, when you really, really, really boil it down, it can be something so very simplistic, and it is that you're not afraid, you were not afraid and are not afraid to delve into things that are uncomfortable. You are not afraid to seek out intentionally conversations with others that don't look like you and just talk human to human. That's what that's kind of what I'm hearing. What am I missing? I think the one way I might shape that slightly characterize it slightly different is that I am afraid. Mm. I was afraid at each of those encounters. I am still afraid. I am still afraid to make a mistake and I have worked hard to build courage. Mm. And to build stamina. And for me, that took the shape of reading everything I could get my hands on to try to be knowledgeable in the first place. And then going to places where these the things I was reading was were reaffirmed through lectures, through dialogues, to for being in, included in um, the People's Conference. And being sitting in affinity groups with people who've been on the journey longer than me and being reminded that, yeah, Christy, you're 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 not alone and you're also not the first and you won't be the last to come to some of these understandings. And so for me, it's been building courage. I'm afraid when I went to Africa. Mm. OK, wait, wait. let's tell people that you went to Africa. OK, so everybody. You know I go to Africa all the time, and I presented this opportunity to Christy. It's like, oh, hey, girl, I'm going to South Africa in, uh, you know, February 2020. And then you just were like, I want to go. You, you opened yourself up to I want to go. And then what were your reservations and what made you push through? Sure. Yeah. I had a lot of reservations and I kept a journal weeks because I wrote a paper about it for school mm -hmm. after we returned home. So I was journaling months before we left about apprehensions, reservations. What would it be like? What would I be like? Uh, what would the experience with the group of Americans who were going? And uh, I knew that I was uh, 
one of two white women, um, the majority of the group, African-American, and uh, I think, if I recall correctly, maybe two uh, Asian-American yeah. two Asian-American, two yeah. white women. Yeah. And I kept thinking, what? And I had this stupid belief, because I'd done a lot of reading about South Africa and about South African community colleges, because our mission, the mission of the entourage was to have some, be in that space a little bit. So I, I knew some stuff and I thought, I'm going to be like, I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb. I'm going to mm. be the only white person around. But what I experienced was that we went, we were people who were bringing very specific skill sets and very well we were college presidents not me the our group included university college presidents and provosts and mayors and city council people um, most of whom were african-american and i thought everyone in, that we encountered in, in south africa would be black that, that things had changed mm-hmm. but when we got we went into white spaces Mm-hmm. A lot of times, while we had many fabulous um, South African black experiences, we also went to hotels where our group would go in and people would, would look to the two white women to say, oh, what are you all here? Or, or can we check in? Or you're like, not in charge. Mm. Over here, mm. this woman is in charge. These people are the big wigs and the powerhouses in this group. I'm a nothing graduate student tagging along. But that happened more than once in restaurants, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. hotels, in museums. They were white spaces. It was mm-hmm. weird to me. Mm-hmm. I was very afraid. I was afraid throughout the trip. I was afraid how would, would these would these gracious people who had invited me and who were friends and knew each other for the most part about me coming along mm-hmm. and then what was your takeaway I have never before noticed intentionality in a group of people to make me feel welcome it was intentional it, it they they knew, and I had done enough reading at the time, they had, many people had a sense that this could be a fragile white woman. We better make sure she's okay. <laughs> they, some learned, not as fragile as they might have thought, uh, and that I was more awake than they might have thought. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at the same time, there were times in the evenings when the group would go and do things, and this could have been self-put on my, I wrote about this, could have been just me putting it on myself. I thought, you know what? I need to step back. I need to not go tonight mm. because they're going to a club in town. It's going to be, they need to not worry about me. They need to not worry about if I'm okay. Mm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I would get coached by the these wonderful local drivers when I wanted to go out walking. No, you can't do that. No, yes, you, yes, you can go there. No, you can't do that. You're a white woman. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. being so taken, I thought they can't take care of me. I need to sit in my hotel and let them do what they find their their joy all mm-hmm. by themselves. Did you, um, Christy? <laughs> did you ever? Did you ever experience in Africa being the other? And I mean, 
where you were the other. Yeah. In a, so in the group, yeah. in our contingent, I was the other. No, outside. I'm talking about outside of the contingent because no. that's no. a safe I mean, space. I never felt. I felt like I was an American tourist. Okay. No, and I, but I was privileged to have these just amazing cultural experiences that Melanie and the group had coordinated. Mm -hmm. So we were in. I felt like an outsider, maybe when we went to the townships, mm -hmm. and I'll say. It was a novelty that I was a novelty. Mm. The children came up and touched my skin. Ah. Mm. And um, mm -hmm. can I get a glass of water? Because I don't want to choke through this. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I asked that question because I know for, uh, you know, for white people in America, being the other is is rare and... If it's if and when it's experienced, uh, it, it's mostly at convenience. I mean, I'm just gonna make that broad statement. Yeah, I don't have any any quantitative data that says that, but I I just wanted to know um, if you experienced being the other because if you haven't experienced that, then you don't know what that feels like, and that's what um, you know. A lot of times, a lot of this whole race thing is. You know, that's saying, you you know, don't judge a book by its cover and uh, wait till you walk in another man's shoes. Well, you can't walk in, in a black person's shoes or other shoes unless you've ever felt like what it feels like to be the other. So mm -hmm. that's why I asked that question, because it's just a interesting yeah. dynamic to be the other. Yeah, and I just wanted to say, too, that a person that, that self-selects, you know, like Christy determined, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want to have this experience. I'm going to put myself in the middle of this experience so I can experience whatever the experience yeah. is. And that's and, rare. And burst those stereotypes. That's rare. That's why, Christy, I'd be like, rare. you my girl, you know, because you were ready for whatever the situation um, presented itself and in this movement, this anti-racist movement and community-building movement, we need more white people um, like you in the mindset to so, conquer the fear. And I'm yeah, so glad that you that you um, you said that that you are afraid, and you know that is truth. That that is truth for us That's all. So much truth. And so to to know that you you're you're able to step into fear. And for other white people, yeah, you're going to have to step into fear. Lean in. Lean in. Lean into it. I mean, because when you, when you, I, I can tell you every day I step into fear just because yep. I am me. Yeah. I have no other choice. And so for, and, and for others in America that are of the non-dominant skin tone, well, shrinking, by the way, um, the populace of the skin tone. But yeah. anyway, for Majority just minority. understanding that stepping outside your door with uh, with with the brown skin, that's fear every day. Yeah. It just sits there like a brick. I've said it before. It just sits there like yeah. a little brick, and you have to find a way through it. So I commend you for stepping into that fear 
and and let it be what it is. And it is intentional. It is something that is purposeful. And I'm just hoping that, you know, there is some that people that that hear this from you living it, that that they know that it can be done. It's just about, you know, how uncomfortable are you willing to get? Yeah. And so, Christy, what say you as we close? So, okay, fear and, and uncomfortable. And on the other side of that, the absolute joy of a new world that is opened to me. New friendships, new experiences, because I got outside of my own white box. Mm. Mm. That is so good. That is so good. Well, thank you so much, Christy, for the inspiration. And when I say inspiration, I know that other people will be inspired. But I thank you for personally for the inspiration to know that there's not just you, that others that are like you that are out there and appreciate your efforts and your persistence in keeping it real in this fight against anti-racist, anti-racist community as well as the world, because we're going to do this one mm-hmm. way or the other. That's Thank right. you for being on the journey. We appreciate you being here. And when and when you say that you've got out of your own white box, I'm so grateful that your getting out of this led us to a path to be sisters from another mother. Because I feel like together we are changing the world. And we're doing that. And both of us becoming doctors, oh, geez. Watch out, world. Right? So, Christy, thank you so much, sis. Thank, thank you, you for being thank you. Thank you so much and, for letting me and, be your friend. Yes. And Jane, thank you for birthing Christy. And yes. Bob. And we Bob. Love you. Jane and Bob, All thank you. you for birthing Christy. Drop the mic. Boom. Thank you for listening to What Say You? If you have conversation ideas or want to follow up on what you heard, please contact Melanie by email at melanie at missmelanie.com. M-E-L-A-N-N-I-E at M-I-S-S-M-E-L-A-N-N-I-E dot com. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. The What Say You podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, and We Art Tacoma. This is Channel 253.